Attention, please. This is The Drive with Josh Graham Podcast. Tune into The Drive 3 until 6 p.m. weekdays on the Sports Hub. I love it. It's brilliant. This Antonio Brown story is no longer funny. Now that former trainer, Brittany Taylor, has filed a civil lawsuit accusing A.B. of rape. And if I'm being honest, I've been very frustrated today with the TV and radio coverage I've seen of this topic all across the sports media landscape. Here's what I think we need to do more of here. We need to be fair to both sides. And this rails against what we're taught to do in sports media, the mechanics of sports talk and sports debate, where you pick one side and you defend that and you argue for, you, uh, argue for that. That's not what we need to do here. We need to be fair to both Antonio Brown and to Brittany Taylor. Usually we're coached not to sit on the fence. I'm going to do that today. We don't need a hot take. We need more information. And we need to be absolutely fair to both sides. With A.B., let's stop pretending that he didn't sacrifice anything. This is something that has just bothered me to no end the last few days with A.B. Just because he gets on the New England Patriots and seemingly gets what he wants because on a YouTube video he puts out on Saturday. He's celebrating and running around in his yard when the Oakland Raiders released him. Somehow, we believe that he's lost nothing in this. Financially, he has. He was guaranteed $30 million with the Oakland Raiders, pretty much. Now he's guaranteed $9 million. That's everything in the NFL. The guaranteed money is what you make, what you know you can account for. So there's a financial aspect here. The other thing's this. Socially, A.B.'s reputation and his dignity have been tarnished in a way I don't think any athlete, short of committing actual crimes and being convicted, I don't think there's an athlete who's had their reputation tarnished as much as A.B. has in the last nine months. It's happened in such a short period of time. In week 15 of last football season. A.B. was known as maybe being a bit of a narcissist, a guy who would film Mike Tomlin's post-game comments on Facebook Live and do a lot on social media. People thought that, but they didn't think he was a loon. They didn't think A.B. was a clown show. They didn't think this was somebody who would hurt your football team. But then he's not there for the regular season finale. And all the antics that have been unprecedented this entire offseason. So when it comes to A.B., let's just make sure what we're saying is accurate here. To say that this is someone who's lost nothing across the last few months and being traded away from Pittsburgh to Oakland and then losing all that guaranteed money and now being accused in a civil lawsuit of rape by a former trainer There's a lot at stake for Antonio Brown. As for Brittany Taylor, AB's defense was prepared. His legal team was ready. They put out their statement almost in conjunction with what Brittany Taylor 
put out there in the uh, lawsuit actually being filed. Drew Rosenhaus was on TV earlier today. The defense, is it's always the same when it's against women. She wants money. That's all she wants. She wants fame. Why is she talking now? Those are the three things. Money, fame, and timing. I don't buy any of those. And I'm tired of people repeating these points time and time again when historically a lot of those claims are unfounded when it comes to women accusing people of sexual crimes. She wants the money. In the state of Florida, the bare minimum you can ask for in this type of suit, this civil lawsuit, is $75,000. That is what she's seeking from Antonio Brown. A.B., if you, if you want more from A.B., you probably could ask for more. He's certainly got it. He's He could supply that. But why the bare minimum value for this civil lawsuit, as far as I understand it? She wants fame. This is the most bogus defense. She wants fame? Is this really the way you want to become famous? Who has that helped out? Look at the stories about, say, Monica Lewinsky in the 90s and what she's gone through the last few decades. Who would seek that out? Any woman who speaks up. Who would want to be famous for who you slept with? Who you were raped by? Or who you accused of rape? Who wants that to be on your obit when things are all said and done? I know fame's a powerful thing in America, something we very strongly value. But there are certain kinds of fame I'm, I don't think anybody would want, and this, I would say, is one of those. Then the timing of it all, any psychologist would tell you this, it's victimhood one-on-one when it comes to sexual crimes, that the more prominent somebody is featured in the news media, the more likely somebody is to come out and speak about what crimes they believe those people to have done. It's victimhood one-on-one. It's not, hey, this seems like the right moment to hit him. If that was the case, you wouldn't hit him when he had $9 million guaranteed dollars. You'd hit him when he had $30 million guaranteed dollars just a few months ago. So that argument doesn't make much sense here. I'm not picking a side. Antonio Brown or Brittany Taylor. I'm just saying I don't have enough information right now. And I think we need to be fair to both AB and Brittany Taylor in this instance. We'll talk more about this subject with Darren Gant when he joins us a little bit later on in the hour. The drive is broadcast live in the law offices of Timothy D. Wellborn Studios today. Learn about the ways Tim Wellborn can help you online at timwellborn.com. You'll know when you need us. Desmond Johnson producing today's show. Intern Arthur? Can we call him that? Arthur, what's your last name, Arthur? I don't even know your last name. Yeah. It's, hey, guys. Uh, Arthur Christakis filling in Christakis. for Aaron today. Okay, you're filling yeah. in for Aaron. And he's not an intern. Okay. Yeah, actually, I'm, I'm just making yeah, sure no. here. He's part-time. Yeah. Okay. He's just he's just working in here today. See, I we, we rarely ever cross overlap paths with one another. But it's good to have you here. 336-777-1600. Arthur and Desmond will be taking your phone calls today on Twitter at Sports Hub Triad. Shifting things to Cam Newton. Other than Cam Newton not 
hitting a deep ball on Sunday. There's no sensible reason to believe his arm strength has left him. No sensible reason to believe that. Rather than just giving you opinions, let me just give you a bunch of facts. Cam Newton had reconstructive surgery on his shoulder in March of 2017. That's a fact. You probably already knew that. Did you know, though, that year that he played 16 games, threw for over 3,000 yards, and the Carolina Panthers made the postseason? Let's not forget about the details. The following year, when everything went wrong last season, Cam Newton barely practiced after the Philadelphia come-from-behind win. Carolina was still winning games at that point. They won two more games after that. Cam Newton was limited in practice to the point where he was just practicing once a week and it was limited in which he was playing because his arm and the strength of his passes was uh, deteriorating. Then you got this year. Cam Newton, he undergoes surgery in January, which is important. Remember, the reconstructive surgery was in March of 2017. He played that year 3,000 yards, made the postseason. This year, it's January, so more time to recover, and it wasn't a reconstructive surgery. It was more cleaning up the previous surgery, so it was less invasive. We've had medical experts on the show talking about that fact and that there are differences between the two. Cam started throwing footballs in April, way ahead of schedule. During training camp, he's throwing the deep ball. We saw it a couple times to Curtis Samuel. And he hasn't been limited at practice last week or this week. He's not on the injury report. So I understand if Cam is upset that he's continuing to be asked about this just because he hasn't thrown a deep ball yet. Cam is clearly sick of this. And he made that known in his press conference yesterday. Because you're only asking me because of my shoulder. Uh, how about this? You talk to the defensive coordinator for Tampa and don't think I can throw the ball over 20 yards and see how far that gets you. How about that? How about that? If he is limited, he deserves awards for his performances in press conferences this week. On Sunday after the game, he said he was relieved that he got through an entire game didn't deal with any problems with his shoulder. He he's not through the woods, he said, but he said it was there was some relief to get through a full football game and the narrative not be that he can't complete the game for reasons of health. Then yesterday he's joking, he's having fun. It's normal Cam Newton, just like he was last week. He was asked specifically, Do you still have the deep ball? Here was Cam's response. Of course. But if it's going to hinder us from winning, I don't want to throw it. But if it's going to make us win, <laughs> oh, baby, <laughs> you better call some doggone deep balls. <laughs> the North Turner impression's back. I like that right there at the end. The North Turner impression is pretty darn good there, Dad. Uh, a joyful, happy, joking Cam Newton is a danger to the NFL. It's when he's in there moody and short answer – Belichickian almost, that's when you're like, okay, Panthers are probably going to lose Sunday because Cam's in a bad mood. But if Cam's in a great mood, he's playing loose. He was in a good mood last week. He's joking with his teammates. He was in a good mood last week. And they almost defeated yeah. the defending NFC he, champs with four turnovers. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't play well. He didn't play he didn't, well on Sunday. Uh, but it wasn't because of his health. 
Right. Just because Cam Newton doesn't play well doesn't mean it's his health. At times, crazy concept, players just don't play well. And that's what happened with Cam Newton on Sunday. Here's what's lost in this. Teams don't throw the deep ball as often as they used to. Here's where analytics have crossed into the NFL. It's taken over Major League Baseball and the NBA. In the NFL, and I think it's hurt the product to a degree, teams are petrified to throw the ball down the field. Petrified. We've seen less and less downfield passing in the NFL, and that's because, statistically, according to those analytics and sabermetrics, the further the ball travels down the field, the higher risk there is for something bad happening. A ball being picked off, a ball being tipped. Something that's not positive. That's why teams look at first down, let's throw, get three. Second down, let's throw, get three. And the goal is to get in third and three, third and four. That's what you want. It's hurt the product. No one wants to watch that. No one wants to throw quarterbacks, uh, watch quarterbacks just throw it sideways for three hours. Thank God we have guys like Patrick Mahomes in the league now and Baker Mayfield who make things a lot of fun. But most of the NFL is that way. Look at the Rams, for example. They took the one shot on their first drive to Brandon Cooks. I don't think they really had a legitimate deep ball the rest of the game. None of it comes to mind. But nobody's saying that Jared Goff doesn't have the deep ball. He gets the big contract. Sean McVay wasn't taking any more shots down the field. Who's more aggressive than Sean McVay is? It's just where the NFL's at right now. And that's, that's completely fine. Coming up. What the USA basketball team won today. This is The Drive. Can we talk here? Can we talk here? Let's talk about this is The Sports Hub at AM 600, AM 920. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. time we talk to our next guest it always seems like we arrive at a place where we're asking ourselves how can the NFL mess this up whatever it is that given week that given month that guest is Darren Gant of profootballtalk.com that you can follow on Twitter at Darren Gant and the story today as it's been really the last month is Antonio Brown except that this is no longer funny anymore in any way when you start getting into civil lawsuits and those lawsuits, including allegations of rape. Darren, welcome to the show. Appreciate you coming on with us. What's the worst thing you think the NFL could do to mess this up? Um, <laughs> boy, that's a good question because there's so many ways the NFL could screw this up. And it, and it feels like they're in the process of it. And I'll apologize in advance if I get in a little bit of a rant. It's like a Jules Winfield transitional <laughs> moment here. I'm tired of this being a football story. This doesn't need to be a football story. So far, we've had football teams say, ah, we've said all we're going to say. And we've had football agents say, oh, this is a setup, and this woman's just out for a cash grab. And we've heard football announcers talk about this. What we haven't had enough of is human beings talking about what may or may not have happened to the woman. I don't know. I don't know if she's guilty. I don't know if she's innocent. What I do know is that this doesn't need to be framed in the way of, oh, is Antonio Brown going to be able to play week two? This thing sailed past that 
are so long ago, I don't even know where to begin. And it's just kind of a, it's a larger frustration for me because so many of these stories get painted this way. And it's just kind of where we are. And I get that this is a sports talk radio station and I write sports stories for a living. But when we treat these things so flippantly, it's just bothersome to me. Yeah, and I'm right there with you. But at the same time, you got what do you find more interesting about the actual news of this? Antonio Brown and this, the case itself with this woman, Brittany Taylor, or not necessarily the football side of what the Patriots and the NFL are dealing with, but how they need to go about handling the image and the air quote protecting the shield here. Well, I, I think they have made a decided effort uh, recently to keep star players on the field. And as you saw with the way they handled Tyreek Hill, I mean, there's almost a, a rush to get them back on the field rather than a rush to investigate this thing fully and make sure we know 100% of what's going on. And, and I think it's a business reality for the NFL. They know they need stars on the field. So if Zeke Elliott's not out there for the Cowboys or, or Tyreek Hill's not out there for the Chiefs, that's bad for business. And, you know, it's, you know, again, maybe I've been cynical for too long and now it's dawning on me that, hey, this is just a business. But it does feel like that. Uh, we're rushing to that point. And, and I don't know. I mean, regardless of the facts in the case of Brittany Taylor, and I hate even saying her name, and I'm disappointed in myself for saying her name, um, regardless in the facts of the case of this woman, we've gone full steam ahead to Antonio Brown football, and, and I think the one thing we know for sure, without a shadow of a doubt, is Antonio Brown has terrible judgment. Antonio Brown does not think things through all the way. You saw, and, you know, we've basically rewarded him with a free pass to the best team in the NFL for being a jerk to the Raiders. I mean, he looks to me like a guy who realized he was on a terrible team and did everything he could to get off of it and won. Darren Gant on Twitter, at Darren Gant, profootballtalk.com. Shifting things to tomorrow night, it's a quick turnaround for the Carolina Panthers as they face the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Cam was jovial yesterday. He was laughing off some questions about his shoulder. The North Turner impression made a return. How concerned are you at this point after watching one week of football about Cam's shoulder? It's early yet. I am as concerned, and I think it's probably worth remembering, that this guy's coming off a midfoot sprain, and those things are no joke. And I know they said he was full participant in practice the week before, but after he dodged that bullet in the preseason, there there was something happening there. He was in a boot for a reason. He was hobbling for a reason. And I think any time you're talking about a person who throws things uh, in exchange for money, a foot can be as big a deal as a shoulder sometimes because it changes the mechanics. But I think the combination of rusty – uh, the foot problem that obviously, I mean, the guy ran the ball three times for negative yards. Uh, that's something he's never done in his career. It's pretty easy to look at that game, you know, one of those sore smite two eyes and say, he ain't right just yet. Now, is it lingering shoulder? Is it simple rust? Is the foot bothering him? I don't know, but he's not cam yet. And I think until he gets back to something a little more closely resembling run around cam, improvise cam, play with some kind of rhythm cam, but it's going to be kind of hard to see where he actually is. Finish the sentence, Darren. If the Carolina Panthers lose to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers tomorrow night. It's time to panic, obviously. <laughs> um, 
yeah, go to the store, buy your bottled water and, and beverage of preference because the storm's coming. Um, no, it's, um, yeah, it's early. It's two games into the season. The, people have overcome slow starts before. But, yeah, this isn't a, ba- this isn't a game you want to lose primarily because the Bucks are bad. They, they they don't have very many good football players, and, and Jameis Winston was pretty dreadful. I, I kind of giggled when Bruce Arians was explaining away two of the interceptions the other day. Well, okay, that left one, and that didn't include the three that were dropped by the 49ers, so it could have been six. So I guess if he gets a pass on two out of six, that's good. Uh, yeah, the Bucks aren't very good, so if you lose to them at home, short week or not, that's a sign of a problem. Uh, you would think, uh, even if Cam's not throw it over a mountain, Cam Newton of the past, that he would be able to play the way he played first half of last year, keep it safe, throw the short passes to Christian McCaffrey and let him do his thing, that they ought to be able to win that game at home. There were select members of the media and, of course, uh, listeners on this show on Monday who kind of uh, thought I was just trying to zig when others zag when I suggested that the Carolina Panthers, the result they had on Sunday, actually wasn't a bad result for them. Even though they lost to the Rams, it's week one. Tampa Bay, they rolled New Orleans week one last year, and we saw what happened after the fact there. Uh, It looks like to me, Darren, that the two biggest problem areas from last year seem to be improved. The offensive line, Aaron Donald wasn't a factor on Sunday, and that's a huge compliment to the O-line. Defensively, the new scheme, the pass rush, Brian Burns, he was making an impact on the game, and he got very close to Goff a handful of times, and he's going to be a really good player for the Panthers. Then if you factor Cam Newton's health into it, I thought, I mean, Cam even said it himself after the game. He was relieved that the narrative after a game is not his health, but instead, eh, maybe I just didn't play so well, and there's rust in there. Do you buy the notion that even if you lose a game, that maybe the result isn't quite a failure? Yeah, I'm cool with that. Uh, you lost by three points to the team that was in the Super Bowl last year. Could be worse. You could be the Jacksonville Jaguars and lose your quarterback. So, um, yeah, I, I think all things considered, it wasn't a disastrous result by any stretch of the imagination. Had they lost 40 nothing or, or something like that to the Rams, uh, yeah, I think, you know, then you get really concerned and all that kind of stuff. But there were point, there were moments of competence scattered in there where it looked like okay well this is the thing they do and honestly when they when they score late to get it to what 23 20 or a three-point game um you know it's like okay are they gonna do this today and the way McCaffrey was playing there's there's reason to be encouraged I I still believe that it's a playoff caliber roster as it stands right now if these people are all on the on the field week 17 they ought to be talking about what they need to do to get into the playoffs or having already gotten into the playoffs the best concert you've been to lately or that you're planning to attend now last one i saw was peter frampton a couple weeks ago went to see frampton and the jason bottom you know whatever he's calling the led zeppelin cover band he's playing with and it's actually really cool uh, on a serious note uh, not that the rest of this hadn't been serious but uh, frampton's batter battling a degenerative neuromuscular disease he doesn't know how much longer he's going to be able to play guitar and at the end of the show which was full of great peter frampton songs and everybody loved them you know he's sitting there basking in the applause of the of the crowd everybody's cheering for him yelling having a good time and he kind of holds his palms up to the sky and he says you people heal me and i thought that was pretty profound i mean you went to just didn't have great expectations, didn't know what Peter Frampton was going to be like, but it was both a great show and a moving human moment. 
It's Darren Gant on Twitter, at Darren Gant. Lover of music. Great on football as well from ProFootballTalk.com. Darren, we got football tomorrow night. Looking forward to it. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, man. That's Darren Gant. Good to chat with him, as always. And we will be at Panthers Buccaneers tomorrow night. The drive brought to you in part by our friends at Pie Guys Pizza and more. Learn more about Pie Guys, PieGuys.com. But if you already don't know about the Grand Slam Pizza, where have you been? It's it's our pizza, and it has a Texas Pete base, chicken and bacon on top, Moravian sugar cane pie. It's perfect to cap it off with, and I like accenting it with wings, some of the best wings you'd find at a pizza joint around here in the triad. It's not just a pizza joint, though. Like I said, there's a lot of different options there, salads, sandwiches, and it's it's all made with love, I think is the best way to probably put it, because it's a place that's right here, home in the triad, uh, locally owned in Clemens. Kinnaman Village Commons right off of Louisville, Clemens Road. It's Pie Guys Pizza and more online at pieguys.com. It's going to be a late night tomorrow night. 8.20 kickoff time for Panthers Buccaneers. And I already know, if Monday wasn't enough overreaction for you, can you imagine what Friday show is? If the Panthers lose to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and they lose both their games at home to open the year, by God, everything's going to fall apart. The world might not make it to Friday. You might have to go and buy milk. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> well, you got to think about it. You got to think about it because you got to prepare your heart, Dad. See, I believe this is something I, I always had to do when I was emotionally attached is welcome all outcomes. So that way you protect your heart. Protect your heart. I tell that to NC State fans all the time. You're getting very excited, maybe a little too excited. But protect your heart because you know. You know that the home loss to Wake Forest is coming at the end of the year. You know that's about to happen, NC State. It just happens in football. And Duke basketball fans, you know, just protect your heart. So when Grayson Allen's shot lips out and you lose or... Coach K decides not to go to Zion Williamson, the final play against Michigan State. Protect your heart. That's all I'm saying. Just, just protect the uh, the thing in your chest that keeps you alive. There's a Super Bowl halftime performer that has been uh, rumored today. A, a rumor with the Super Bowl halftime show that's been swirling all day today. I'll tell you who might be performing at the big game next on The Drive. What are you guys talking about? Talk, talk. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham, the The Sports Sports Hub, at AM 600, AM 920. We'll get to the top 10 bucks in a second. The big story of the day, Antonio Brown and the civil lawsuit has been filed against him. The Patriots have been practicing, getting ready for a game this week, which means Bill Belichick and Tom Brady both went to the podium. And, of course, they're going to be asked questions about Antonio Brown. Tom Brady, just moments ago, asked if he had any comment on A.B., said no, and then said, why not? Things that don't involve me don't involve me, end quote. And we don't have official confirmation that A.B. is staying in Giselle and Tom Brady's house. Giselle's the one that runs that house. Let's just make that known. <laughs> if you watch the documentary that was done on Tom, the series there, 
you could see she is the power figure and Tom is completely fine with that because he loves her that way and loves her so much. But you think Giselle really wants this Antonio Brown stuff in her household? I don't know. I feel like there's something there, but Brady isn't given that. Bill Belichick, this is the closest I've ever heard a reporter to pinning down Bill Belichick. But just know you can't see the visual here. You just hear Belichick. When he tries to follow and pin him down, Belichick is giving this reporter the death stare that looks, I would imagine, like staring into the eyes of Medusa. What Antonio Brown has said to you. Yeah, I mean, I'm done with that. Okay. Anything else on Miami? Any other questions? Can you explain what you mean when you're done with it? I mean, we're just trying to find out if he said anything to you about his position and about the allegations. Yeah, and I just answered that question. Well, actually, you did. Actually, I did. Thanks, everyone. Thank okay. you. Actually, you did. No, you didn't. You didn't answer that question. You just said, I'm not going to answer that question. That's not answering the question. They should have just went back and forth. The reporter should be like, no, you like, didn't. If you ask me, no, that guy, I, I can hear <laughs> from a million miles out. away the PR staffer <laughs> jumping in here. Like, if you ask what my favorite sandwich is, and I say, I'm talking about sports here. No, nah, but, like, can you explain, like, like why you're not answering that question? I just answered the question. No, no you, you didn't. didn't. You didn't say what your favorite sandwich was. You just said you're going to move on, which isn't an answer to the question. What do they expect? I mean, it's New England. They've only been doing this for 18 years. Oh, I mean, they're masters. They, they should not be shocked. They are masters at this. They it. are, but it's uncomfortable. <laughs> it's already uncomfortable, and he's been on the team for uh, three or four days. Let's do the top 10 list on Twitter at Sports Hub Triad. John Curry, Wake Forest Director of Athletics, will join us in 10 minutes. It's time for my top 10 bucks. Desmond Johnson, <laughs> Arthur, welcome to the to the proceedings. Top Thank you. ten bucks. <laughs> uh, it's his first time. Sorry about that. Yeah. Tampa Bay Buccaneers <laughs> facing the Panthers tomorrow. Top ten bucks. Number ten. My number ten buck. Uncle Buck. <laughs> totally forgot about that movie for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> it was <laughs> at my home my entire life. Never watched it one time. It just collected dust. Wow. Uncle Buck. Now, I've seen Uncle Buck before. I just didn't watch it on VHS. <laughs> why do I say it like that? Is it my like go-to? Like you're well, I didn't think it was a good movie. VHS. Like, what's your favorite John Candy movie? Huh. It's... He's not even in it for like five minutes, but probably National Lampoon's Vacation. Wow, really? <laughs> yeah. I'd probably go with the generic planes, trains, and automobiles, but... I never really got into John Candy movies, to be honest. Have you not seen planes, it. trains, and automobiles? As Him a, and Steve Martin? Long time ago, and I was a kid at that, so I probably didn't understand half the movie. My number nine buck! Number nine on the top ten list, Ray Allen. <laughs> Ray Allen was nice as a buck. He was out there dunking on people like people forget he wasn't just a three-point shooter i think his time with the bucks is probably his most forgotten stop i think people remember the sonics 
and they remember, obviously, the Celtics and the Heat years because he won championships there. What's most forgotten might be his stop in Milwaukee, and that might be when Ray Allen was at his best. There's a chance of that, which is probably the most interesting part about Ray Allen. Oh, and that he was Jesus Shuttlesworth. How could I forget about that? Number eight. My number eight buck. Joe Buck. People don't like Joe Buck. Why I do like people Joe like Buck. Joe Buck? I don't know, but people don't like him. I they see think all he's kind of smug. I think that's the thing. Him and Chris Collinsworth. I see them the most. Oh, no. Chris Collinsworth's bad. I'm like, what's wrong with Chris Collinsworth? He's fine. Chris Collinsworth's the best color analyst in football. He is. There's nobody better than Collinsworth. I don't think there really is a second. Oh, but what about Romo? I was going to say, what about Romo? No, R- <laughs> Romo is still so raw at it. There's so much he doesn't know what to do, but he does magic tricks. That's what he does. Like, the way we look at it, it's like a magic trick. Right. Like, hey, I'm going to pull this rabbit out of my hat. I'm going to say this guy's this, this team's going to run a slant. Spider 2 okay. Chris Chris Collinsworth gives you legitimate analysis, and he has the slide in. He slides in next to Al Michaels on TV at the beginning. He's the best color analyst. <laughs> He's the best it. color analyst in football. Now here's a guy. NFL. Yeah, oh, wow. Now here's a guy. Here's a guy. Number seven. My number seven buck, Michael Stott. I have him on my list, actually. Well done. Out. Yeah. I got like eight of them on here. I'm trying to pick up the uh, slack with Aaron up being here today because he's usually really good. Mike Allstott is my favorite Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Me too. And it's no, there's no one even remotely close. I really like John Lynch too. Nah, I hated that dude. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I hate for like all the Bucs. I mean, they're in the, the what division was the of the name of that receiver? White guy, number 83, like slot wide receiver. Uh, Jerrigan or something like that. Isn't that right? Oh, this is going to. Joe. Joe Jerovicious. Yes. Yeah. Did we just become best friends? I think so. Number six. My number six, Buck. Buck Cherry. Uh. (laughs) Did you not listen to Buck Cherry? Buck Cherry. You don't know Buck Cherry? Why? They're one of those bad 2000s bands that sang Crazy B Word. They also had... I'm sorry. That does not ring a bell at all. Like a, it's like an emo 2000s band that was around with Fallout Boy and um, Yellow Card. I remember Eagle Eye Cherry. Yeah, kind of like Eagle Eye Cherry. I remember they're twins. They were probably. Eagle Eye Cherry about five years later. Oh, oh okay. That's unfortunate. Yeah, that's who they were. <laughs> number five. My number five buck. Blackbeard. Qualifies. Like he's a it. buck. Yeah, he's a buck. He is. Pirates are buccaneers. Interchangeable. Number four. <laughs> my number four buck. Buck Show Walter. Ah, I got him on my list too. Had to be there. He's a former Orioles manager, right? Yes, he is. He's so not managing right now. They probably could use him. <laughs> the Orioles could use more than Buck Show Walter. <laughs> yeah, I promise Ripken. you. Then you're like 1988 Cal Ripken out there. 1988, wasn't that the year the Orioles started 0-21? Oh, gosh. My bad. <laughs> Thank you for bringing back those memories. Number three. My number three, Buck. Buckwheat. Well done. I didn't even have that on my list. Buckwheat. Is that Eddie Murphy's best character on SNL? 
No. I liked. I always liked the Mr. Rogers parodies. I forget what it was called. Like when he was. I think walk- it, was, it was Mr. Rogers' neighborhood still, wasn't it? It just was. I don't think his it name was, was done Mr. With Rogers. A, uh, an urban slant. Mr. Robinson. Mr. Robinson's neighborhood. Yeah. That's what it was. Mr. Robinson's neighborhood. I'd go with Gumby. Gumby's very good. I'd, I'd probably go there. He didn't really have that many characters, really, when you think back on it. His time was so short on the show. Number two. My number two favorite buck. The buck stops here. Kind of waiting for famous kinda... words of what president? Who got it? Which of you two know the words? Who said the buck stop here? Harry Truman. Nailed it. Well done, Dad. I'm a history nerd. Arthur knew that too, though. He's just being modest. Number one. <laughs> my number one buck. Knuck if you buck. There's no song in the history of music for white people. on this planet that will make me, Josh Joshua Daniel Graham, act the fool and be more likely to get into a fist fight than Nuck of You Buck. Is that like the white people's like fight anthem? It is. Okay. Because it, it seems like it is. And Nuck I, of You Buck. Yeah. <laughs> Just be- I got I got <laughs> Spectrum Center's DJ to play it right before kick uh, tip off of Duke and Florida State in the ACC championship game, and everybody was <laughs> rejoicing. So they were taking the floor. You can go back and look at the broadcast. As they're taking the floor, knuck a few bucks play, and all of us on press row are just looking at each other and just like vibing <laughs> back and forth like we're about to jump up and get into a fight, jump on the floor and act the fool. So if I'm in a Walmart somewhere and knuck a few buck comes over the intercom, I need to keep uh, my head on a swivel and watch out for all white no, people. No, no, no. In Target. That's, uh, tar- that's right, yeah. If you were in Target. Target. Um, be careful. <laughs> Be mindful. I had, a, uh, I had a couple you didn't A hundred bucks sent in. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. That, that was on the outside look again. What else did you have? I am shocked that Buck Nasty did not make this list. Buck Nasty. Uh, voted two th- uh, the year 2000 uh, most hated player. Buck Nasty. According to uh, the player haters ball. Yeah, of course. Bill I, Buckner, Buck Nell. Bucky Dent. Bucky Dent was on the outside looking. And actually, he was in the first cut. Ah, uh, Buck Rogers. Oh, yeah. Buck Rogers. And then uh, Lou Alcindor. Hmm. Very good. I couldn't include more than one buck, and Ray Allen made the cut over Lou Alcindor. It's your list, man. You can do whatever you want. That's a good point. Where is attendance right now? Thank you for that. Where is attendance for North Carolina Wake Forest at this present moment, 443 Wednesday afternoon? Wake Forest Director of Athletics John Curry will join the show to tell us next. Oh, look who's back. This is The Sports Hub at AM 600, AM 920. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. As Wake Forest Director of Athletics John Curry just spelled out on social media... We are 49 hours and 15 minutes away from Wake Forest football hosting one of the bigger games I can remember in Winston-Salem and Dave Clawson's tenure. It's North Carolina coming to town for the first time in a long time. Conveniently, John Curry, now a guest on the show. And 
I want to get to what you guys were doing earlier this morning a little bit later on in our conversation, but I want to start with a couple housekeeping notes here in relation to the game on Friday night. Where are you at last time you checked today when it comes to ticket sales for Friday night's game, John? Uh, we're making great progress, Josh. It's been uh, hot and heavy. I really salute our ticket office staff and Bridger Fieldhouse. Um, and obviously with, uh, you know, Carolina's coming off a couple great wins. We're coming off two great wins. Um, great national uh, interest and, and certainly regional and city issues, uh, interest. So I haven't seen the report today because I've been, uh, been uh, running around quite a bit. But I know we've made great progress and we're probably a couple thousand tickets away from selling out. Do you expect this game to sell out? You know, we didn't, Josh. As of last week, actually, um, you know, we we didn't expect it to sell out for um, a number of reasons. Um, but heck, it's uh, it's turned pretty hot, and uh, we're expecting a very large walk up. I would really, really encourage fans to go ahead and buy their tickets uh, today or tonight on the internet or tomorrow. Use the print at home feature uh, to go ahead and have tickets in your hand, or come by the ticket office uh, at Bridger Field House. Plenty of parking there; you can get in and get out. Um, you know, between 8.30 and 5 today and tomorrow, uh, and then they'll be open um, uh, certainly on Friday. But uh, really it's going to be better to go ahead and get them, and uh, we do anticipate uh, one of the larger walk-ups um, that, we've, that we've had, and so we just want to make sure that everybody has a great experience. We gave away two pair of tickets yesterday on the show, and Des was just we – we had phone call after phone call after phone call of people who were just interested to get – tickets to this football game and then I did the wake zone last night with Chris Lee on WXII and the feedback we're getting about this game it's just so much excitement on both ends of the spectrum of course Wake Forest fans are jacked up about the Tar Heels coming in but Mac Brown North Carolina very excited as well but looking at the Friday night games do you think that has hurt um, this already not being a sellout or even the first game not being uh not reaching the 30,000 threshold. Do you think Friday night hurts you a little bit? Well, you know, first of all, let me just say that, you know, tickets are $45 is our entry-level price for this game. So if you think about the cost of, um, you know, world-class football, this is uh, Power 5, two undefeated schools, um, uh, you know, it's a reasonable price. And so I would encourage people, a lot of people don't know that that's the price. I think it's much higher. So continue to come uh, to uh, GoDeeks.com or call us at 758-3322. Um, so Friday night is not our optimal night to play college football. You know, we've said that uh, repeatedly, Josh. Saturday is the day. Um, our, uh, we are in a partnership agreement that is very significant to, to our institutions that does call for some Thursday and Friday games. Uh, just like the Big Ten and the Big 12 and the Pac-12. Um, you know, Friday night presents some obstacles for some. Um, certainly there's an impact on high school football and vice versa. You know, the, we've got families on our team whose who's, uh, carnies, you know, are split between uh, their high school playing son and their college playing son, and, and we recognize that's, that's not optimal. On the other hand, you do hear from people that they can't come on Saturday morning because their kids have – uh, little league football games or little league soccer games or softball, whatever it is, or they got to work on Saturdays or during the days, um, and, and the evening, um, is palatable. Uh, we do recognize at 6 p.m., you know, leads right, uh, on the rush hour or rush minute, as I like to say here in Winston-Salem, because everything <laughs> is so easy in Winston-Salem. Um, so we, we do ask people to plan ahead and, and, um, and get to the stadium, uh, you know, as early as they can. And for that, you know, we've got the uh, I'm a Fan Zone opens up at 3 o'clock. Free band tomorrow is Watchtower, which is, or excuse me, Friday is Watchtower, which is a 
uh, plays a lot of Dave Matthews tunes, and we got uh, beer trucks and games for the kids and all that kind of stuff. Were you satisfied with the crowd for the opener? Ah, I thought it was great, and I heard so many great comments from people about uh, the excitement of that historic event with Winston-Salem State's Red Sea of Sound brand, uh, band. Um, it was a really special night, and, and our, our team was excited uh, to see the fans. Uh, it was the largest. Uh, you may have read this in my uh, From the Quad letter, which we sent out for you earlier today. It was our largest home opening crowd since the NC State game in 2011. It was our largest student crowd since Notre Dame in 2011 and the second largest number of students to enter the game uh, in 12 years. Um, so those are really awesome, um, awesome statistics. We had a, a record opening night for concessions, which helps us. Uh, um, all things considered, it was a wonderful night, and certainly um, I appreciate Coach Clawson making sure the game was um, really close all the way right down to the end to keep people captivated and entertained. Yeah, I was probably about 15 or 20 steps away from you in the final stretches of that game. Fair, <laughs> fair to say that uh, nerves were maybe setting in just a little bit. It was maybe a little too dramatic for John Curry's, uh, John Curry's mind. Well, you know, I recognize you're going to win some and you're going to lose some, but it's a heck of a lot more fun. Yeah, yeah, for sure. John Curry's on Twitter, at John underscore Curry. He's Wake Forest Director of Athletics. We were talking to Coach Clawson at his press conference yesterday, and he made no bones about it. He said he wants to play North Carolina more often, and he doesn't want it to be once every six years on the ACC rotation. That's why this game is a non-conference game between Wake and North Carolina, because he believes these programs should play each other regularly short of the ACC going to a nine game uh, league schedule is there any way the conference can have North Carolina play Wake more often uh well at this point the 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 divisional play uh with the 17 divisions um and the crossover is fairly well established um as you know those things are really hard to put together with so many uh competing interests um but uh, absolutely, it would be my priority as well, uh, as Coach Clawson said, to, to play North Carolina more often. I, heck, I would love to play some of the other rivals that we have, you know, historically from the um, original ACC, you know, whether it's Virginia or whomever, uh, more often. Uh, Bubba Cunningham, in fact, I talked to Bubba today um, to to make sure he was all set coming into the game uh, Friday. He's a great friend. And, you know, as there are opportunities uh, to do that more, we'll look at him. Have you guys already had discussions about furthering this series beyond what's on the books we've had a brief hey you want to talk about this yeah let's talk about this we just haven't gotten right gotten uh, into any kind of detailed conversation so i think there's an openness but as you well know it requires um you know it takes two to tango it requires a lot of things to match updates and all that kind of stuff we're scheduled out um i don't have it in front of me but yeah uh, we're pretty much scheduled out with, with a couple exceptions uh for the next um eight or nine years um so uh, we'll continue to evaluate what opportunities may arise. Would you be in favor of a nine-game league schedule? So, yes, I would be. Um, but I also understand the position of others in the conference who might not be. Um, you know, we had a nine-game schedule. We had a full-round robin in the Big 12. It was wonderful for fans. Uh, it was also really hard. Um in the uh, in the Atlantic Coast Conference, you know, we have a requirement that every school play uh, another Power Five team, and this is a, and this is that game for us um, this week. In addition to the conference schedule, um, to go to nine games would impact um, potentially schools like Georgia Tech or uh, 
Florida State or Clemson that have an automatic um, crossover, or not a crossover, but an automatic uh, Power Five rival, like yeah. Clemson, South Carolina, Florida, Florida State, Georgia Tech, Georgia, and you would have some years where, you know, if you had a nine-conference game schedule, they're playing that nine-conference game schedule, plus, you know, Georgia Tech's playing Georgia, plus there's going to be a rotational when they also play Notre Dame. And so all of a sudden, you're into 11 Power Five games in, in, in one uh, uh, non-Power Five game. Um, and so I understand why there's concern about that from, from some schools' perspective. On the other hand, um, you know, part of what makes college football great is competition and community and rivalries, and um, I would default towards that, which is I would prefer a, a uh, adding another conference game to the schedule. This morning, I saw you put out a tweet. It was pretty much what I started my day with, and seeing – what you were doing out at the stadium this morning. It is the 18th anniversary of 9-11. Tell me a little bit about what event you had today. Well, it was an event driven by uh, the Department of Military Science in the uh, Winston-Salem Battalion of uh, the Reserve Officers Training Corps, the ROTC. And so the, the one of the things I've learned since I um, came here is that the um, uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Ringheisen, Ring uh, who was uh, there this morning, and I, I did a little tweet with her uh, this morning. You know, the ROTC battalion is a joint effort of, uh, or, or jointly uh, joins together with Salem State and Wake Forest and um, in Salem, uh, which is really cool. I didn't even know that in, uh, until uh, I got here. But this was this is driven by um, the military science folks in ROTC, and we marched. Uh, uh, 2,997 steps recognizing uh, the the victims of the terrorism on 9/11, uh, and it was an awesome deal. Started at six in the morning, and and it we had our basketball team, baseball coach Jerry Haas, and men's golf was out there. We're out there. Um, the volleyball team was out there. It was an awesome event, and I would just challenge people in our community: 9/11, 2020, 6 a.m. Uh, it is a really, really cool community event. We got to continue to make that thing bigger and recognize um, uh, the servicemen and women who protect our country. And there were firefighters there from the Winston Fire Department that were doing the climb uh, in their full protective uh, uh, fire suits with oxygen tanks on their backs. Um, and it was just a really, really cool uh, community event at BB&T Field. John, thank you so much for doing this. I hope it's a tremendous crowd yet again on Friday night. We look forward to being there. Look forward to seeing a great crowd. Uh, come early, have a great time, and enjoy uh, college football at its finest. Thanks so much, John. That's John Curry, Wake Forest Director of Athletics. What are we going to talk about? Talking about. This is The Sports Hub at AM 600, AM 920. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. chance to catch up with Wake Forest wide receiver Sage Surratt earlier in the week as the Deeks are getting set for North Carolina. It's a big game already, but I can only imagine what it's like for that family. Think about the parents. Apparently mom's going to be wearing a Sage Surratt uh, jersey, Wake Forest jersey, while dad's going to be wearing a North Carolina jersey. A brother's going to be flying in from the Air Force to attend the game, and 
Chasserat was saying that he's going to sit in the North Carolina section. So there's some uh, representation there for the visiting Tar Heel. But Sage has been fantastic the last two games, and he had an excellent freshman season too. And with Kendall Hinton out of the lineup for this week's game, he's going to be leaned on heavily, which means there's opportunity with him being in the slot likely in Kendall's place. He could be lined up against his brother, Chasserat, who switched positions from quarterback to linebacker and was excellent in game one against South Carolina, leading South Car- uh, North Carolina in tackles. The Tar Heels are 2-0. Wake Forest is 2-0. It's a massive game. So, of course, we were looking forward to speaking with Sage Surratt. Here's how that conversation sounded. So, Sage, this is your first opportunity to go up against North Carolina. We'll get to your brother in a minute, but in-state matchups, what does that represent? Um, you know, I, I think every year, um, since we don't get to play UNC every year, um, you know, it's, it makes more of the state championship on the line between the four schools on the line even more. Uh, you know, I think it's a great opportunity for us, you know, uh, to open up uh, between the state schools with a big win. Um, I think it's an opportunity, you know. I think it's the first time since 19, I can tell you the date, that we play all three schools at home. 1921. 1921, okay. And so that's, that's a long time. Uh, so, you know, this is uh, this is exciting for us as a school and a program, uh, you know, to be able to uh, do this. So, Is it a different experience playing on Friday night? I know these are things that we react to because it affects schedules and people have to work during the day. But as a player, is it different at all? Um, a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, we kind of – now we're starting to kind of get accustomed to Friday night games, especially the last two. So it's not as different, um, considering the past two weeks. But overall, in general, I think it is, uh, especially um, with the rivalry on a Friday night. So uh, it's definitely going to be different, you know. Um, but, I mean, it's still football at the end of the day. Sage, I-, I was a soccer player, and in high school, one of probably my favorite athletic experience was getting a chance to play against my brother, and it was such something we talked trash during the week, and at the high school level, that's something we look forward to. Now you're playing at Wake Forest, and your team's 2-0, and and it's an in-state game. It might be a sold-out game with North Carolina, and it's your brother playing defense. What, where's your head at during the week? Do you talk to him during the week? Yeah, I've talked to him. You know, it's definitely been some sibling trash talk going on. You know, uh, bragging rights is definitely up in the house. And, you know, um, pride for your schools is on the line as well. So I think uh, it's definitely it's definitely going to be fun playing against them, uh, you know. So I would say, you know, just trying to – I mean, whoever wins this game is going to be able to talk about it forever. So, uh, you know, as far as that's on, as far as what's on the line, I think that's what's really going to be on the line between us, both just between the two of us. This isn't going to affect Thanksgiving dinner, is it? No, I don't think so. I mean, it'll probably be brought up during Thanksgiving dinner, especially since that's at the end of the season. So we'll probably we're going to hear from more from it at, after the outcome. So growing up, give me the story the most competitive you and your brother was, whether it's football, Monopoly, or board games. Anything stick out? Um. There's a lot of competitive pieces, a lot of competitive stories we've had. I'd probably say most like intense one we've had is probably like two years ago. Uh, we played one-on-one basketball at the YMCA that we grew up in, and uh, you know it got. I think we both had game point. Um, it started off with uh, with a shooting game. We was um, and I won the shooting game, and. Uh, 
after that he wanted to play one on one because he didn't want obviously want to leave the gym without a win and somehow. And so I think it was a tie ball game, and then we didn't even get to finish the game because every we kept fouling each other before uh, before somebody else would score. So uh, we did we didn't even end up finishing the game. That's probably one of the most competitive moments we've had. So let the record show: Sade Surratt, better basketball player than than Chas Surratt. Do I have that right? I think I think I can say that. Um, yeah, no. You talk to him; he's probably going to say I'm a better scorer and that he's a better uh, point guard. I give I give that to him. I'd say he's a better point guard than me. But um, matter basketball player, I think I own that title between us two. Last thing for you: we're talking about you guys. You guys are the actual competitors. You get to affect the result. Your parents don't. Yeah. Where's their head at? You know, I think it's going to be, especially especially for my mom, I think it's going to be hard to see, you know, uh, Chaz trying to hit me and stuff like that. That's going to be hard for her to kind of watch. You know, she just doesn't want anybody to get hurt at that point. But, uh, you know, I probably it's, it's probably going to be tough on them in the stands. So. And it should be noted, Chaz told me in Charlotte that if he gets a shot, he's going to hit you. How do you feel about that? Oh, yeah, I know, I know that for sure. Uh, he's told me that before. So, um, you know, any chance I come across him, I get to make a miss. I'm, I'm probably going to do that and then probably going to let him know about it later. So, uh, you know, I think that's going to be fun. You know, good, good chance, you know, to see, have some excitement during the game. So, Thanks for doing this. Enjoy the moment on Friday. No problem. Thank you. That's Sage Surratt. All right. And that is Sage Surratt. And it was funny that he mentioned what his brother's been texting him. He knew that he was going to try and take shots at him and whatnot. That was brought up to Chaz yesterday evening. And Chaz's response to that, hey, he just makes it known that he might have to send a message being the older brother in the equation. Um, I think it'll be pretty good. I'm going to try to lay him out if I can. My teammates been asking me if I'm going to hit him or if I'm going to go hard or not. Yeah, I'm going to try to lay him out. But um, it would definitely be uh, – <laughs> It'd be. I mean, I think at the first time I see him out there, I probably smile just because he, he's going to be like ten yards away from me in the boundary. Um, so, but after once we get into the game, I think our both our competitors just will take over. We'll be just trying to win and play hard. This is going to be so cool. Friday nights, these two were teammates in high school, and they haven't been on the same football field together since Chaz's senior year. And you go back and look at it, Chaz had 40 or 45 touchdown passes to Sage their career together. Chaz was asked if they ever played against each other in any setting, organized sports. He said maybe once in AAU basketball their teams played maybe one time. But other than that, no. So on a football field, this is the first time. And what makes it more interesting is that Sage is on offense and Chaz is on defense. This is just a storyline thrust into the middle of what is already a compelling, important game. A game that I think is the most important Wake Forest home football game of Dave Clawson's tenure. Or at least it's the most highly awaited one he's had. This is a game that we've circled. These teams don't play each other that often. And North Carolina is good. They have the coach as a Hall of Famer. They have a quarterback that everyone's excited about. They're getting top 25 votes. Meanwhile, Wake Forest has gone to bowl games three consecutive years, and they've won those bowl games. They don't get any love. They beat a a, a quarterback with a grassroots Heisman campaign who's going to be a first or second-round draft pick of the NFL on a team that was 11-2 last year. They beat them, and they go on the road, unlike North Carolina, who hasn't played a road game yet. Granted, it's against Rice. They take care of business. They're not getting any love. Nothing for Wake. 
So there's a chip there for Wake Forest that I think doesn't exist with Wake, or excuse me, with North Carolina. That's why I like the Deeks to win. I usually don't do score predictions, but since Chris asked me to last night, I was in the XII studio doing the Wake Zone with them. I gave a score. I gave thought into what I think a score is going to be. And I think North Carolina, they're, they're going to have moments where you, you think, okay, they're going to do this. Here it is, 3-0 start. Adjustments and coaching will get Wake Forest through. More depth, more experience, playing in bigger games. Wake Forest is going to win, and they're going to win by double digits. Wake Forest 31, North Carolina 21. The drive is brought to you by our friends at Twin Peaks Restaurant, Haynes Ball Boulevard in Winston-Salem. You can find them a great sponsor of the program. Uh, perfect place to watch games. We're going to be, I'm going to be going to four games in four nights. Four games in four days. North Carolina and Wake Forest is the second leg of that. Panthers, Tampa Bay tomorrow night. And then taking a plane to Baltimore to watch East Carolina play at Navy. I've never seen a game at Navy before. And also, this is going to be the first time I watch East Carolina in the stands. My entire time as a student, I've been to every game, every home game that that four years, but never never watched a game in the stands at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. And then on Sunday, do a little scouting. After this Thursday night game for the Panthers, they play the Arizona Cardinals on the road and Kyler Murray. Kyler tied against the Lions. They're going to be facing Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, who had a big week in week one. So... I'll be at the Ravens and Cardinals, too. Four games in four days. And I guarantee you, all of those games I just mentioned will be on at Twin Peaks Restaurant, Sports Hub, uh, the Sports Hub's local sports lodge. Place you should be visiting. Haynes Mall Boulevard. Eats, drinks, scenic views.